Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. You can look at points per game and be like, great, there are more points, so there's more offense, so it's more exciting. But the problem is those points are all coming from people standing still at a free throw line, shooting boring ass free throws. So get rid of the boring ass free throws, get some misses, get people getting out in the break, running after those damn misses, and you get rid of the boring ass free throws and everybody can have more fun watching basketball. There's your rant. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Everybody, we don't have to tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. Coming to you with the usual suspects. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Out East, Knicks Beat Writer, Extraordinaire Fred Katz of The Athletic, Anthony Slater, Warriors Beat Writer, etc. What's up, gentlemen? How are you this morning? Also out East. I'm in Fred City. I'm in Manhattan right now. The Big Apple. Got the big boys. What's up, man? I'm feeling left out now. I got FOMO. Yeah, you're yeah. missing out. Best I'm in New York. I have not been to New York in a minute, and I know we're pressed for time. Slater's got to uh, to, to go do his day job here in a second. And, and to give you the framing of this particular pod this week, guys, as you know, we are going to dive into what we learned one month into the NBA season. This is that time of year, media-wise, where you try to show some restraint and you know not have the hot takes. But we've also seen you know a, a pretty fair amount of basketball, so we're going to get into that in a minute. But but guys, you had me going down memory lane a, a little bit. I last time I was in New York was uh was on the eve of of the pandemic. Went out to go meet with our esteemed bosses in, in our headquarters and uh ironically wasn't feeling very good. It wasn't COVID, I don't think, but uh spent three days in a hotel room, sick as a dog, didn't get to see anybody, got back on a plane, went you sh- home. You and sure then- it wasn't COVID? I mean we're talking about epicenter of uh the yeah. virus at the time. So the only reason, I mean, I don't have clarity. Uh, now it's, you know, don't worry, listeners, this is not a, a COVID pod. But like, I, I got an antibody test, but I waited way too long, like eight months or something like that to try to get it. So I don't know. I didn't have antibodies at that time. I'll never know. I will say, yes, I felt sicker than I've maybe ever felt in terms of a virus. And to the company's credit, they were very safe about it and just said, hey, listen, it's not ideal, but we're going to cut a check for you to sit in a hotel room for three days and and rest up. And uh, and even at that time, you didn't know how to handle things. So I hate to admit it. I just, the doctors told me to get on a plane and go home. So I did. But, uh, but that is not what we're getting into today. Um, we've had uh, a lot to dive into this season, guys, but we need observations. We need opinions and we need takeaways. Uh, we did a little homework here, all three of us picking three different things that uh, that we have learned, but I'm going to throw it Slater's way, not only because he's more pressed for time than Fred and I, but 
because I, I like the fact that you were right, Slater, that Fred and I, with our takes, were somewhat rosy, somewhat positive, and and we're gonna we're gonna bring the hate here at the top. You, yeah, you want to come? You with guys the are coming in like Wizards defense, and <laughs> uh, you know, look at the Suns on a win streak. Uh, there's a lot bad going on in the West. Um, dun, dun, you know. Dun. Well, if you just look at like the the current six or seven, eight, nine, ten, which is the play-in, I mean, Lakers, Grizzlies, Blazers, Thunder. Um, the Lakers at seven are eight and six. We, I'll start there because I have three teams I want to talk about, uh, and and they're all in that bracket. So I maybe we'll go one, 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 and I'll. I think we should do a Lakers segment because I mean they're obviously a huge story in the league. Um, LeBron's health, uh, sounds like he might be back this week, which would be big for them. Um, or at least coming up soon, maybe. Uh, but they're just, I don't know. They've had a really bad start to the season. Uh, even though like it, it seems like o- almost, uh, an artificial eight and six that almost doesn't seem how, um, you know, dooming it has seemed, particularly on the Russell Westbrook front, which, you know, Fred, I, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Having covered him last year, which was a slow start, but he's got, well, I was just looking at the turnover numbers. He has 76 turnovers right now. Uh, James Harden's second in the league at 68, and then nobody else is even above 60. I mean, he's turning over at a crazy rate. We, and then just like the on off numbers, the Lakers are, have a plus seven net rating with him off the court in a minus six with him on. And it's just, uh, to me, any, anyone who had bad feelings about that trade when it was made and what could maybe materialize from it, um, you know, again, through preseason, through this early stretch, through this period where no LeBron, and that was supposed to be when Russ was supposed to help most, it's just like it, the concerns keep piling up. Yeah, well, part of the reason that record feels inflated and that like their vibes feel so much worse than what their actual record is, is because they lost to Oklahoma City twice. They got absolutely run out of the gym by Minnesota. Uh, you know, two of the wins have come over Houston. They beat, I guess Cleveland might might be a good win now. I mean, Cleveland's playing really well, but they've they they've they've played some bad teams really poorly, right? And it's just when they when they've looked bad, they've looked really, really bad. You mentioned Russ's turnovers and i i believe at least as of the last time i checked it was it was the highest turnover rate of his career right now which is saying something because he has been quite a high turnover player for a really long time i i don't know what would what would you say that we've learned though about the lakers though right like have we, I think we, have learned, we definitively learned something about them yeah i think that their off season seems like it wasn't you know, directed uh, with the right strategy, um, you know, prioritizing, um, you know, all veterans with, you know, some of them have injury concerns. Obviously, the Ariza stuff still lingers over. We know the the Caruso, you know, non-match or what, you know, just like you know, not signing him, even though they obviously have bird rights. Um, and making the Westbrook trade instead of the Buddy Heald trade. I mean, is it is it too early to render a verdict on that? Uh, you know, Fred, you know, we're going to talk about this great Wizards defense. Well, part of the reason the Wizards are, are such a surprise is because the Lakers delivered them a gift, basically. Um, so... I I think we I I think we've learned that the supporting cast around LeBron and AD is concerning uh, early in the season, and then I don't not you know part of the excuse would be hey LeBron's out once LeBron's back he'll go Superman all problems solved but I mean 
another thing we've learned is like Le- LeBron is getting injured more you know often than normal, and that's something that yeah to no me is, is a concern. That part is huge because now it's it's not you know a one off. Now we have couple of years in a row now you have the age question that is is fair as, as great and amazing as that guy is that's something that is going to be a, a focus I also think it's unfortunate you know as you guys know like Russ going out and, and, and even on a high turnover night having a triple double and looking like Russ in the absence of LeBron is not all that meaningful just because of the the way they're trying to grow as a group within the context of LeBron it just we've seen all the struggles they've had when he was healthy so it can be good theater and fun and of course, they're they're talented enough to win games without LeBron when you have Russ and AD on the same team. But but that whole spirit of it where Russ is with LeBron is not going to just be able to be Russ. And, and who does he become and how does he fit? You don't get to work on that every single time that LeBron's not on the floor. So I'm reserving my Lakers takes until later. Sure. LeBron, LeBron has played. I mean, I agree with all the analysis. It's Absolutely true. LeBron has played fewer than half of their games. And ultimately, if we think the Lakers are good, if we're going to if we're going to simplify the reason we think the Lakers are going to be good, I think the most important reason is because they have LeBron James. And for for half of their games or more than half of their games, they haven't had him. Uh, I, I think them missing Kendrick Nunn has been bigger than discussed, too. People talk about other guys missing injuries, but but they could they could use him handling the ball at those backup point guard minutes. Tht not being there, I think, has hurt them. I think he was going to help he, them this year and too. He, he's he's back now. He started the last game and played pretty well. And Davis had like thirty four and like eighteen. So they're you know we're talking after what is maybe their more encouraging moment of the early season. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, for sure. And so I just think, I mean, Westbrook also notoriously. It, it is wild to see him get off to these extremely slow starts every year and then turn it on. It, it happened the final year in Oklahoma City. It it happened in, in Houston. It happened in Washington where he gets off to these ridiculously slow starts. He looks like he's lost somewhere between a quarter of a step and six steps. And then he, his body turns it on the second half of the season. I mean, I know a few years back, he stopped playing pickup over the offseason. I've always wondered if there's some sort of correlation between him stopping playing pickup in the offseason and getting off to slow starts during the regular season. Uh, but, but you know, it wouldn't be shocking to see him turn it on come February too, because we've seen it so many times also. I mean, I, I, I worry about how those guys are going to play together in the postseason. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see about that, but just with the overall I don't I don't know. I just I feel like I haven't really seen what they're actually supposed to look like in order to be able to make grander takeaways. That is fair. And uh, and to keep things moving here, let's go ahead and go to topic number two in Slater. Uh, No offense. We're not giving you the stage for all three of yours at the outset here. So we'll make the rounds Uh, cats. What are you thinking as far as observations? Okay, I'm I'm jumping in. I just I have to I have to jump on my former beat for a second. Cause the Wizards are fourth in in points allowed per possession right now, which is wild. They have not been able to defend at a above league average level in years. And uh I don't think they're the fourth best defense in the league, but I think they're good defensively. Like I think they're legitimately good. They you watch them play and it it just looks extremely replicable. They play really, really good team defense where 
their rotations are so consistently on points. Uh, you know, if if you if you dig into the advanced numbers, they're they're actually giving bu- giving up by far the fewest wide open three pointers in the NBA right now, which is just a stat that I'm sure Wes Unsell Jr. loves to see. They're guarding the perimeter extremely well. Uh, I think Daniel Gafford is turning himself into a top notch rim protector. Denny Avdia is just massively improved on that end and has been an extremely important on-ball defender for them, which has changed the dynamic of their defense. KCP has been good for them. I think Kuzma is having an excellent year. And all these guys who are who are not great defenders are just defending better than we've seen before. You know, Beal is playing the best defense we've seen from him in like five years when he's been a detrimental defender in recent years. Montrez Harrell has has not killed them when he's been on the floor defensively. And I think by his standards is is guarding really well. They they just play great team defense. And uh I I think that so much of regular season defense is just being in the right place, helping the helper, making sure, okay, I know my this guy is gonna be here. So I have to rotate in this direction after. And they just play within their schemes really well. Like I think their defense is 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 legitimately a good regular season defense. Yeah, I mean, that's they're nine and three right now. Um, I just how do you think the only question I have about this, how do you think this um helps the Beal landscape and the fact that, you know, I mean, technically he's I mean, he he expires after this season. Um, it didn't extend. Uh, do you think I mean obviously winning would help any situation, but do you do you believe that this is just like laying the the foundation of like Beal is about to commit moving forward? Um, I can't say for sure, but, but yeah, I think it probably helps a lot. Uh, I I've, I've leaned towards it being more likely that he returns than not pretty much the whole time. And that's just based on kind of how, how he's felt. Uh, I know there are things that matter to him beyond winning. He cares about having power within an organization and he's not going to get more power within an organization than he will in DC. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's, he feels entrenched there. He feels loyalty to them. He he cares about, I think he genuinely cares about being the best, the best player in franchise history. And that's not something that could happen if he leaves now. Um, you know, all those things are important to him. And he certainly cares about getting that, that five-year max, which can be up at around 240-ish million dollars. Uh, and that can only happen with an incumbent team. If the Wizards don't trade him, that means it can only happen with the Wizards. So, so I think, um, I don't, I, I don't know if for sure, It'll happen, but I mean, the thing that's been pushing them out is that they haven't been winning. Yeah. And if they're winning at this degree, it's like, well, he's getting everything he wants then. Yeah. The opposite of last year, right? Remember how disastrous, I know you remember how disastrous that like first month, two months was with, with COVID thrown in the middle of Westbrook struggles, all that. So it's encouraging. For so sure. years, it's- years and years ago, Tony Kornheiser wrote in the Washington Post, the Wizards never get off to good starts. It's just like a franchise thing. Even if they end up like just normal bad, like 38 and 44, they just, they start two and 11. They just never get off to good starts. And years and years ago, Tony Kornheiser wrote that the Wizards are always nine and 20. They're just always nine and 20, no matter what, 29 games in you look and they're nine and 20. And, and it's just become a thing with the Wizards where it's like, oh, only, it's only so and so to go until they get to nine and 20 because of that famous Kornizer line. And it's like, well, now they got to lose 17 in a row to get to nine and 20. They're, 
This is this is not normal for them to get off to a start like this at all. You just jinxed them. They're going to lose 17 in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Sam, Sam, can we make an executive decision and and or can I make an executive decision and make your first takeaway the Sacramento Kings so you can pop onto the pod with some of this breaking news that you Yeah, as have? you can see me texting and typing and being distracted here on the pod. Um yes, you are in fact an executive on the tampering pod Slater, so you have that right. Yeah, I, I guess this wouldn't be as much in the rosy category. Um, Sham Sharani and I had today put something out about Luke Walden's status and just not surprisingly, the idea, the reality that there's pressure on him again. And it's funny and it's kind of perfect for a pod looking at one month in. One month doesn't sound like a huge sample size, but in pro sports and the NBA, you know, we've seen plenty of coaches, you know, lose their jobs less than one month in. And with Luke, it's it's turned quickly, and this just kind of shows the appetite in Sacramento, and specifically with owner Vivek Ranadive, to get back to the playoffs. That they've lost, as we were recording the pod, they've lost four in a row. They play tonight in Detroit, so things might have changed by then, one way or the other. But these losing streaks were a problem last year. They lost nine in a row twice. They had a stretch right before the first nine-game losing streak where they won seven out of eight. And I, at the time, we wrote stuff about how, you know, that little surge and that uptick had, you know, potentially changed the the framing internally about the playoff expectations, uh, starting with ownership. And then, lo and behold, they lost nine in a row. It seemed like Luke could be in trouble at that point. It didn't happen. They stuck with him. Um, the tricky part here is that, you know, like his dynamic with the front office, by all accounts, is still very positive. His dynamic in the locker room with the players who matter most is still mostly positive. The Marvin Bagley situation obviously is, is not positive, but um, yeah, I mean, bottom line, what we reported is that he's not going to have the same leeway, you know, during these slides this season as he did the last. And and we don't have admittedly full clarity at all on, does that mean if they lost badly to Detroit tonight, is he, you know, is he gone? Uh, I don't know. You know, I think that there is a threshold here, uh, and, he, and he needs to turn it around quickly for sure. You know, the play-in is sitting there for them. Uh, and, and we'll get to some of the teams, you know, in the in the, in the the West that are kind of struggling. But, you know, you're just looking at the standings. Like the Pelicans, who, who were thought to be in their realm, are kind of in a disaster zone right now. Spurs, 4-9. and nine. Rockets, 1-12. and 12. Wolves, 4-8. and eight. Thunder are 5-7. and seven. I don't want to get Andrew to hop on the pod quick. But I don't think any of us think that's going to last. So that right there, that's five teams right there that the Kings should be better than. And I would agree if, if this is the front office's look that they have the type of roster should that should at least be in the bottom of the play-in bracket. Uh, and, you know, Sam, there was some good stuff going on early on, and I do think they've hit on their last two draft picks, Davion Mitchell and Halliburton overall, even though Halliburton, I think, has kind of had a slower start to his second season. Uh, you know, Heald and, and, and Barnes have had, I would say, encouraging starts to the season. Fox has not. That's been a huge deal. Um, but it's it's tough for them to, to, you know, especially for Luke to kind of live in this, world where we're sitting there talking like if you lose to the Pistons tonight you could maybe be gone like that's not how you want to operate in an 82 game marathon but I also get it well the slides are what were you know they're it's almost like they got PTSD from the non-game losing streaks last year and you know and I wrote this part I mean the financial factor I do think played a part last time around he's got this season guaranteed and next season combined 11.5 million dollars the Kings, I don't have total clarity on this, but I believe 
that they finally got past, you know, paying Dave Yeager. And that's been a, a trend in their history, of course, is paying multiple coaches um, and, and just having that be part of, of what they do. And ownership, certainly this time around, didn't want to do that again. It's also, to be blunt, it's like, I think Luke is, is connected big time with the front office, with the players. Um, you know, Vivek has always seemingly been fairly skeptical of him and has had to be talked into, you know, the the merits of keeping him on board. And, you know, we wrote stuff last year about how he would routinely, you know, just send messages privately to people internally about just extreme frustration about the coaching. The OKC loss, which I think we should recruit super producer Andrew Schlecht real quick to come in here because I think, Andrew, you were there. I do think, I wasn't there, but it was a bit of a, seems to have been a bit of a mood changer. They blow a second half lead uh, of 18 points. Darren Fox, who's been struggling most of the season, dribbles off Lou Dort's foot. You know, Lou uh, races the other way, game-winning layup, game-set match. And and I think for a team that wants to be in the playoffs, uh, as you know better than anybody, Andrew, you know, like the Thunder, perception-wise, they are a rebuilding "Quote unquote lowly team that a, that a playoff caliber team should not be losing to." Yeah, that was a it was an interesting game overall. The Thunder, all of their wins have come in comeback fashion this season, and that Kings game was no exception. And you know, I'm sitting courtside, and Luke Walton is pretty animated throughout the entire game, just about like little things with the team. Like one of them was boxing out. Like I don't know how many times he had to yell at these guys to box out. You know, I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl had 14 rebounds as a rookie. You know, they couldn't they couldn't move him out of the way to get boards. You know, there's just little things like that. And then, you know, the Thunder the Thunder play hard. They're a, they're kind of a tough, scrappy team. They're not good. Like they're just not good. But they're in the right places. They're going to do the right things. And at the end of the day, they're not going to have enough talent to win a lot of games. But the, the Kings were kind of the opposite. You know, the Kings Kings haven't been in the playoffs for, this will be the 16th season if they don't get there. I mean, right. they've had as many bites of the apple as you can have to try to make a good team. And a lot of it just really stems from just the culture and just overall what they're able to put together because they they've had talent. Like that team is way more talented than that Thunder team. Like there's no doubt about that. But it's just all the little things. And you could tell that Luke was frustrated that they weren't doing it and there were a lot of like side conversations happening between players more than like a group effort. It was just kind of a, it was an interesting watch, no doubt. And they're not defending again. They're bottom 10 in defense. They don't, they don't force turnovers. I mean, it's just that that's kind of been, if you look at the common thread over the last 16 years, they just consistently, they have, they have just really, really bad defenses and they're not defending again this year. Well, and that I think is of of all the factors working against, excuse me, working against Luke at the moment. That's one he's got to fix quickly. Um, they were last in the league last year, historically bad, twenty fourth in defensive rating as we talk right now. The offense is top ten. I mean, they're seventh in offense. Um, and I think what hell or what what kind of hurts the optics even more is that the, as Slayer and I wrote a couple of weeks ago, the drafting of Davion Mitchell early on was kind of seen as a bit of a, a culture changer where he was having a butterfly effect on some of the other guys on the team. And you watch this team and even Donovan Mitchell, after they played Utah early on, talked about how it's the most physical Kings team that he can ever remember. And they were starting to make real progress there and they've regressed. So we'll see what happens. Full disclosure, guys, and you, you've been here a million times. Owners 
in these situations. It's just damn near impossible to pin down, you know, exactly what an owner is thinking and what the calculus might be because, you know, yes, GMs run teams, but at the end of the day, the final call is going to be the owners. We know that Vivek has been incredibly involved in his entire tenure. So um, I have a decent sense of the pulse in that space, but but don't know precisely how hot it is. Sam, I always feel like whenever you hear from a team, this particular individual is going to change the culture. That's always the greatest sign that the culture is completely broken because sure. I I can't think how many times I heard, especially while covering the Wizards, oh, Trevor Ariza, going to trade for him. He's going to save the culture. Right. I, I One individual is almost never capable of taking a culture and just completely remaking it. And when that one individual is a rookie, then I think you're probably telling on yourself that you got something really broken. Uh, because yeah, they had a that, couple. Just really and I'll, I'll be honest, I was kind of buying it for, and who knows if they turn it around. I was Me buying and it Sam for, were buying it. We were writing 2,000 words on it. We were hey, all Hey, if nothing else, at least we wrote some positive stuff so they can't accuse us of just, you know, stirring the pot. But like, it's, I, I, I think Rico Hines is another interesting guy here. He's a Kings assistant coach who I might have mentioned on the pod before. Like, they pumped out this social media video of Rico preaching to the guys about this concept of stacking the days. And there was like this ethos all of a sudden within the Kings of like, don't always just focus on the results. You got to do the work, do the work, stack the days. And Rico seemed like the coaching version of Davion Mitchell. And and there was just an energy where all of a sudden you saw Buddy Hill like improving defensively and, and just guys that didn't seem to care in the past on that end of the floor caring. And, uh, but life comes at you fast. I mean, this, this losing streak is bad. It does, but it's also a four game losing streak where, you know, like the Suns are mixed in. Like it wasn't just four. You know, the, the Oklahoma City game was a dud, but also, you know, we could be, San people could be, bad. yeah, that was bad too. Um, we could be talking though, you know, or people could be listening after they, they beat the Pistons and then, you know, suddenly they're basically the 10 seed right now and technically are in the play in. I mean, like it is so early and, and, and you know, maybe. It is. I mean, I'm, I hear you. I'm, I'm somewhat sensitive to that Slater. And now I don't even mind sharing it partly because, you know, a big part of my morning was having this discussion with people who would prefer this story didn't come out. It's like, it is early, but it's also year three of a four-year contract. You know what I mean? And there's a bigger picture here where, um, it's, it's early in the context of the season. It's not early in terms of the, the tenure. Yeah, that that's fair i just mean i I mean generally like i'm not ready to write off like the kings potentially as a play-in team at this point i do just still looking at the teams i think they're going to be better than five teams in the west so well and of course but we got to move on here but like you also got to ask yourself and again we don't have clarity on this if they did do something here you know last season the widely kind of held belief was that alvin gentry would be elevated I feel like that might not be the case if something happened. I don't really know what they would do. So, sure, you're frustrated with Luke. You want, you know, you're not going to make a big trade, and somebody's got to pay for, you know, the struggles. That's pro sports. But I don't know on the other side of that. Um, it's kind of the age old question of how are you getting better with whoever you're putting in there. All right, you, you want me to transition yep, to, to one of mine? It. Yep. Uh, you know, we mentioned the Kings being the worst defense in the league last year. Do you guys know who? Don't look, Fred. I hope you don't have it up. Who is the worst? defense in the nba right now that's a no detroit that's, 
No, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies have the 30th ranked defense, which, you know, especially from the grit and grind era, it's almost stunning to hear that. But, you know, this is a team that not only got in the play in last year, like upset the Warriors and Chase and got into the first round. And remember, they beat Utah in game one. Um, and it just it felt like a rising young team and still very much could be. I mean, they're sitting there as we talk right now, six and seven. But I just, you know, it's to me, it's kind of a disappointing six and seven. And the fact that they you know, can't defend anybody right now. Um, in the Jaron Jackson, you know, the other night I saw he's a minus 20 in 20 minutes, one of eight shooting. Um, obviously he's was viewed and was just given a four year, $105 million contract as you know, this not only a, a great co-star with John Morant, but kind of like this versatile modern day center who could get out on the perimeter, can block shots. He's clearly not much of a defensive answer. And, um, it's just, you know, a, Again, I I think some of that momentum has stalled despite, you know, pieces on that team that I like. Obviously, Morant, uh, especially early in the season, looked like he was – I still – he probably will be an all-star this year. It's just uh, momentum stalled is, is one of the things I've learned about the Grizzlies early. Yeah, that's a good one. They've they've been good defensively in recent years too. Like they've, they've really been a consistently good defense. That's a good one. It's – I thought they were going to be really competitive this year, and they still could. And it's weird to see that happen as Job makes this ginormous leap offensively where he's just completely controlling games now on the other end, right? They lost to the Pelicans uh, in their last game. You know, as we talk about bad losses early in the season, that's that's one. And again, like, I, I don't want to keep hammering the same point, but it's kind of Jackson, right? I mean, like, that's just that he just hasn't made the leap at all. Yeah, that's fair. No Dylan Brooks for them for most of the year, too. He's, you know, one of their better perimeter defenders. So that's which is that's huge. something as well, which is huge. Yeah. He, and he has returned. Um, he j- he actually had a decent game last game. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and like I like Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman. Like there are there are pieces that that's why it's so stunning to me. I'm like 30th in defense. Yeah, really? no doubt. And I shouldn't have put the Pistons out there like that. They're 19th for the record. I was way off on that. Come time. on, they lock yeah. up. They're about to lock the Kings <laughs> up tonight. Right. That, shall this, see. this whole segment has been a an advertisement for Jonas Valanciunas, by the way. Yes. And, and him being an underappreciated, very good center. Yes, I would agree with you. All right. So much negativity and, and toxicity. Fred, where are you going next? Um, I'm going to neither... You know, I guess I guess this is positive. Um, I have learned that I'm extremely confident in this. This is definitely going to be the case. I am going to feel terribly leaving at least one rookie off of my rookie of the year ballot. You get three rookies for rookie of the year. And there are like four or five guys right now sure. who are having incredible rookie seasons. Um, you know, Evan Mobley, I think, is probably the favorite to win that right now. But Scotty Barnes has been unbelievable in Toronto. Chris Duarte is starting and shooting over 40% from three and guarding okay. And I mean, he looks like the best version of what people thought he could look like is, you know, this old NBA ready rookie. And he is a legitimately, he is just a flat out good player. Franz Wagner is, is really good and, and just, just such a complete player for a rookie. And and that's four right there. And like Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Cade Cunningham are kind of all having these extremely inefficient seasons. 
it's been really short into their rookie into their rookie year. If one of those guys turns it on down the line, like I think putting together all rookie teams is going to be tough, which normally it's not. Normally it's tough because normally you you're have, searching for names on the second. Exactly. Team. It's yeah. tough for the opposite reason where it's right. like, Oh God, I'm going to put this guy on as, right. as my last guy on second team, all rookie Average really 13 minutes a game. Exactly. Yeah. And, and this year it's kind of going to be the opposite. Like they're even sec- like, like Herb Jones, I'm watching Herb Jones. He he was starting for the Pelicans at the beginning of the year. They moved him to the bench. He's now been scoring okay. He's legitimately good defensively right off the bat. Like they're just these these guys who are not lottery picks who are who are just showing up right now. This is I think it's an incredible rookie class. And Mobley's heading it. He is freaking great. So is Barnes. Yeah, let's let's do a quick Mobley segment because um, you know maybe recency bias, but. You know, I mean, this is a lot of hype for a rookie, and it's not just usually the rookie hype is is capped with, you know, that he's the best of the rookies. All of a sudden, he's getting talked about seemingly with good reason as you know franchise centerpiece material and two way impact and poise and incredible stuff. I mean, somebody uh, I wish I could give credit, but someone put together a hell of a two minute highlight clip of him that I was watching on Twitter last night, and he is just fun to watch. And and I I happen to listen to. Uh, Brian Windhorst pod recently on, on ESPN and Brian obviously with his long and storied Cleveland background commented about how the, the Cavs fans were already, you know, kind of joking about, Oh, paving the way for LeBron's final return, you know, to, uh, to leave Lakerland and, and come finish his career in Cleveland. But you know, you know, that you, you have some fun stuff going on if, if those kinds of, uh, narratives are even emerging. And how about Ricky Rubio as yes. like this, uh, rejuvenated point guard who's I'm just looking at his assist numbers he had that 37 point game in MSG which I'm sure Fred can tell us all about but they're nine and five the Cavs are nine and five and that's with you know Sexton's injury which is terribly unfortunate and and Rubio obviously filling that lane Mobley's just so long and he moves so well you see his chase down block and crunch time against Boston the other night yep it's just like his his arms stretch so far and he's another rookie like on this podcast about a month ago, I talked about Davion Mitchell and how, how he's just such a good defensive rookie right off the bat. And that's not really something we see. And like during this segment, we've mentioned three guys who are all rookies and all already legitimately really good defensively with, with Mitchell and Jones and, and, uh, and Mobley and, and his ability to just guard multiple positions, play out in the perimeter, defend the rim get back in transition like he is just he's a beast he's he's a beast and he's got an incredible feel for the game on the other end i mean he is they cav the cavs hit on that one and i think uh we the media should take note for the future when when stories come out before the draft along the lines of uh detroit is considering other candidates than than Cade cunningham and everybody in the public was saying up until the draft, what are they thinking? What in right. the world is Detroit <laughs> thinking? Well, it doesn't sound so crazy right now. Just considering no. someone other than Cade Cunningham, it does not Listen, sound that We crazy. are definitely guilty of not ever hitting the rewind button and going back to expose and tell on ourselves. There's just nothing worse than draft day observations because time and again, they get proven Incredibly wrong. Um, let's keep it moving, guys. I'm going to dive in because you know Slater wanted me to go down the Kings Road. Um, that was on the on the negative side. This is probably a little bit of a mixed bag. It has positive and negative elements. The Sixers are very, very, very interesting. We've seen that one month in for a variety of reasons, but 
specifically what I wanted to drill down on is the idea that the Ben Simmons saga obviously continues not playing, uh, working his way through the mental health side, you know, and, you know, back and forth between his agent, Rich Paul, uh, and the Sixers, Arsham Sharania had, had broken the other day, had, had a long interview with Rich where he essentially challenged Philly and said, you know, you either support him on the mental health stuff or you say he's lying. So that's all gotten fairly uncomfortable. But on the court, here comes Tyrese Maxey. You know what I mean? Here comes Tyrese Maxey, who the, the Sixers had plucked at the 21st pick last year. And starting in Simmons' spot, as part of a group that has the NBA's, let me make sure this is still accurate, the NBA's number one offense, which is just wild to me. You know, Ben's a wonderful elite defender, but he's a hell of a playmaker too and a guy who gets to the rim at will. So you would not conceivably think that the Sixers offense would improve without a guy like that on the court, even with his shooting woes. So Maxi has been a revelation. But the other takeaway for me is that as we look at the conversation about what the Sixers will do here and Daryl Morey's stubbornness to not make a trade that he just doesn't see as fitting of, of Ben's talent. Um, the part that I have more clarity on now than ever is like Philly has plenty of, you know, all-star caliber players. So Joel is a franchise centerpiece, MVP caliber player. But when you're talking about Tobias and then from there you get into high level role players, they're deep, they, they have the types of guys who you would get in what I'll describe as like a second tier trade for Ben Simmons. If you just go ahead and you just want to bring this thing to an end and get a deal done, at this point, you're just going to get more you know high level role players and they are showing that they have plenty of those, which I think is why the staring contest will continue. Yeah, the problem, I just, you know, I don't think Ben Simmons ever plays another game for them. So I, I I understand the idea of waiting to get a Ben Simmons level talent for Ben Simmons um, and, and take it to the trade deadline if you have to, but it is going to, you know, that trade deadline does exist. And, and the idea that Ben Simmons could turn into pieces that could help you go after a title in Joel Embiid's prime right now, or not at all because I mean, like I don't know, Sam. Maybe, but where? But the tell me though, Slater. Like the threshold for the type of player who could help. Like you got to get somebody who's better than Seth Curry. You got to get somebody who's better than Tobias Harris to take time away from them. Who are you getting? Yeah, no. I mean, look again. I, I've always thought Indiana could be an interesting fit. I, you know, look. You're talking Sacramento earlier. I've always said like a Fox for Simmons would be. Uh, very interesting move. Um, but my point is like, if, if it goes a day past the deadline and they don't trade Ben Simmons, do, do you, are you under any belief that Ben Simmons will then come back and actually play? I'm not. So to me, like, I mean, that- it has, it, I'll say this, it, it has swung from in the off season that he's not coming to camp. He's not even reporting ever. Then of course they started taking money out of his pocket. Lo and behold, he reported Rich in his interview with Shams for the first time ever, I believe, um, said something along the lines of, you know, we want him back on the court, whether it's in a Philly jersey or someone else. Left the door open. That, I thought that was significant. I mean, that was his camp acknowledging that the the central focus is to get Ben back on the floor and that the focus had, you know, been taken away a bit from the uh, the specificity of the jersey. You know what I mean? So 
Never say never, I would probably say. Yeah, I I I like an Atlanta trade. If we're talking about what a what a fit would be, that's kind of the mix between the two, right? Where they get good players and they could also potentially add depth and he gives Atlanta some defensive help, which they seem like they need once again. Um, but you're right. Philly's a lot deeper. And Andre Drummond's been good for them. He's right. been good for them. And and George Nyang has been good for them. And it's it's not just Maxi. Like a lot of these other guys, Cork Moss has, has has stepped up for them as well. Like they they're their problem has been depth for a few years now. And and they've got quality role players having good years right now. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. My last, my number three is related somewhat to the Sixers, I guess, if you think about it, because we, we all kind of know the, the long-term target all along from Maury's been Damian Lillard, right? Um, Portland's not in a good spot right now. They're, you know, six and eight, um, you know, Billups certainly hasn't solved their defense. I just read Jason Quick's story about, you know, it's like the fourth time already Billups has called the team out post game and he's talking about potential, you know, rotation changes. Nurkic is struggling, Covington struggling. Lillard has had a bad start to the season and has missed the couple last couple of games because he's had an abdominal issue, which I believe dates back to the Olympics. Um you know, he has been very adamant uh, lately that, you know, 10 toes down in Portland. He doesn't plan on leaving. But, you know, we all talked early in the season, like especially with the, you know, the O'Shea stuff now kind of looming over the organization. And it just doesn't seem like that's on a path to anything good right now. And and could could that potentially open up even if Lillard's saying he wants to stay in Portland? Would it make sense for Portland to just hit the eject button and try something new? I mean, first of all, you got to get through the Neil O'Shea situation. Who's making this call? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's what's wild. So I agree, again, to take it back to Daryl. If you're Daryl, I mean, yes, the deadline is the first kind of line in the sand that he'll have to deal with when it comes but for now, you're going, oh, no, I'm not doing anything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how hot this fire gets out in Portland. Fred, you got one? Last one? Or one of you has one more. Right? Yeah, I got one. Uh, th- here's one that's, that's really neither um, positive nor negative. Uh, <laughs> like, offense so is way down. Offense is way down. Like, it's way down. It's it's crazy. Like I feel like I have to I have to remind myself when I watch games of what a good 
offensive performances, kind of the exact opposite viewing experience of the last few years, how we just kind of had to adjust ourselves to what good defense looked like. Um, you know, they, I'll use the Knicks, who I cover as an example, where the Knicks have a, basically the exact same offensive rating points per 100 possessions that they did last year. They're averaging 110 points per 100 possessions this year. They averaged 110 points per 100 possessions last year. They're fifth in the league in offense this year, and they were 22nd in the league in offense last year. Uh, free throw rate is is down a pretty good amount, um, and and I'm sure we can attribute that to the foul rolls. And uh, three-point percentage is way down around the league, too, even though the teams are taking a, you know, a little bit more three-pointers than they did last year. I don't know how much that has to do with the new ball, which some players have come out and talked about, the new ball being slipperier and harder to shoot with and all that. But offense is way down. Uh, I, I assume the foul stuff will come back a little bit because whenever the league makes these points of emphasis, remember a few years ago, they made delay of game a point of emphasis at the beginning of the season. The first few weeks, it was just like there were 907 delay delay of games called during every single game uh, that you watched. And, and then it kind How of about, dissipated remember, throughout the year. Remember when they did flopping and like they were going to like fine yeah. all these people for yeah. flopping that they did like four of those and then. Never yeah, heard yeah they find Reggie Evans like three times and then it went away. And uh, and yeah, I don't think this will go away. I think the general concept for this will continue. But like it, it, they, they've kind of gone farther in the not calling fouls away from the basket direction than I thought that they would. There, there are a lot of instances where you see defenders, you know really putting a hand on on guys with the ball and and really throwing elbows and and they're not getting they're not, they're not calling those as fouls and i think those kinds of plays will start to be called as fouls more as as we move forward and and maybe that'll bring offense up some but i think it's safe to say that like offense is going to be down from the levels that we've seen over the last 5 years I, i'm i'm kind of a fan of it because good it's good it is good yeah. we'll call that the rant of the week remember we we're supposed to have a rant every week sam we i'm go. labeling that the rant of the week fred wasn't yeah. ranting though i need like more new york energy come on yeah that's great it's great <laughs> if you were free throws look people look at points back, per game baby, and they're the like Knicks are up. Yeah, yeah, you can look like at points like per game and be like great there are more points so there's more offense so it's more exciting but the problem is those points are all coming from people standing still at a free throw line shooting boring ass free throws so get there rid of the go. boring ass free throws Preach. get some misses get people getting out in the break running after those damn misses and you get rid of the boring ass free throws and everybody can have more fun watching basketball there's your rant Side note: If you guys you guys enjoy the, uh, the possessions only uh, feature on League Pass, is, are you are you fans of this? Yes, I love Especially, that. That's kind of what you're speaking to, Fred. Is like, my God, it's it's just fantastic if, if for anybody listening who has League Pass to just watch you know uh, everything trimmed down uh, of of each and every one of these games is my favorite thing lately. All right, Slater's got to get out of here, so I'm gonna give my third one. Although I'm I'm doing three and a half, I'm jamming in. Um, we don't need to talk about stats, just a quick hat tip and flowers to the great Steph Curry and the great Kevin Durant. Uh, it just kind of hit me this week where it's like, man, it still is wild. And Slater, this was your life for a, a fairly extended time. It's wild that those two dudes were teammates for three years, because right now we are seeing how transcendent both of them are individually. Steph, uh, is playing out of his mind. Kevin is playing out of his mind. His efficiency is bonkers production across the board. Uh, you know, Brooklyn's got all kinds of 
challenging stuff happening. No Kyrie Irving, James Harden not playing great for a lot of the year. And lo and behold, they're still in a pretty darn good spot because Kevin's wonderful. And then, you know, Steph being Steph and the Warriors have the best record in the league. Um, the the one I will finish. Yes, well, you got just something. Just quickly on that. They're one, two in the league in scoring right now. I'd probably say they're one, two in the league in like theoretical MVP right now. And they're yeah, playing sure. against each other tomorrow night. Hey, uh, that's why I I'm didn't even know that was the case. Hey, yeah, there it Warri- is. Warriors at Nets tomorrow night, TNT. So that was a good setup for the game, Sam. I, I should have pretended it was intentional. That was yeah. my mistake. That's a hell of a game. The, the other one is the Suns, you know, in the context here briefly, DeAndre Aiden, of course, their big man was very frustrated by not getting a max extension. Uh, again, small sample size here, but it's it's interesting how, you know, he ends up having a, a knee injury and he's been out for six games. They go 6-0 and without him. JaVale McGee, former warrior, three-time champion, former Laker, um, is just fitting in wonderfully. And the Suns, are back doing, you know, the type of stuff they did last year. They're eighth in defensive rating and offensive rating. They were sixth and seventh last year, respectively. So uh, to me, fairly significant that even without their big fella who had a really good year last year, um, you know, they're still at this level uh, that jumps out at you a bit. Yeah, uh, you didn't even mention Frank Kaminsky had like 31 the other night. Um, Javel, I believe, had a 19-14 game. Um, yeah, they're they're just steady, solid. Their starting lineup with Aiton really makes sense. It, even well, and you have him. the Robert Sarver situation hanging over them, and I was around them recently. And I mean, listen to their credit; they're they're compartmentalizing that. They know the investigation is going on with their owner, who, of course, has been accused of terrible things on the the racism and misogyny front, um, but. You know, Monty Williams, Chris Paul, the rest of that crew, they've made a very deliberate choice to to really not say a ton publicly. Uh, I talked to Chris briefly about it when they were in Sacramento. Um, and I said, you guys just seem like you're hooping, like you're just back to hooping. This is not a, a Donald Sterling vibe from the Clippers days where it, it kind of derails the mood on a daily basis. Um, you know, and that's probably a conversation for another day. But, for, you know, for better or worse, they are hooping and they're hooping pretty well. And Chris Paul is still unbelievable. I mean, just he running is. that offense. He is Did so leading the, the league in assists. Had. Did you see the play he had last night where Usman Garuba, another rookie, oh. uh, he oh. dribbled, dribbled through his legs? It was, yes. Sam, if you haven't, go to the condensed league pass, watch yes. the possessions, and it was it was a great play. I Fred, agree, I thought but- about you on the Chris front because I looked at his numbers, and you're right. He's been wonderful, but it's also like he's such a – you know, we're so guilty still, even with the analytics, you know, progress we've made of looking at the counting stats. And it's like, you know, 14 and 11. Um, it doesn't, the 14 part is just like, it makes you shrug, but he's been wonderful. And the delegation that goes on with CP is, is something special. Leading the league in assists and steals. Indeed. All right. Slater's got a bounce. I think we all got a bounce, but did we leave anybody hanging here? Cats, did you get through your whole list? We got it all. All right. Those are the one month observations. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy the big city. I am somewhat jealous. I got to get out there again one of these days. Travel safe. We'll talk to you. Thanks for joining us.